and then given me no topic. And so he's like, uh, well, it's up to you guy, up to you, whatever you want to do. I'm like, thanks, Randy, that's, that's great. Um, and so I decided this morning um, that uh, I would share something that God's been speaking to me about and um, that I've been reading about and, and dealing with. Um, and it kind of plays kind of nicely into the whole um, Christmas theme and Bethlehem. And so um, let's just begin with uh, a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you this morning that um, that you are a God who is bigger than anything we face. We thank you that you are a God who is a God of relationship, who is a God who, who wants and uses people. And we pray this morning that you would um, use us as a church and as individuals. We pray that you would work through us and that we might um, triumph because you have already given us victory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have just spent four weeks looking at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, how a young couple traveled to a little-known town and had a baby boy while they were there. What was the town? Why that town? Why, were they, why did the couple travel to that town? Okay. Okay, so, so Joseph had to travel to his hometown or the town from which his ancestry was from, which was what? Bethlehem. And because he was of the house and the line of David. David. Over a thousand years earlier, God sent another servant of his named Samuel to the same town to anoint a king. Well, actually, just a young shepherd boy. A boy who was overlooked by his father. A boy who, had no, who was nothing special. He was, in fact, just an ordinary, regular shepherd boy, but God. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you turn there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background. Um, Jehovah God, the God of covenant, called a people um, whom he would lead and direct. He chose Abraham to make and made some promises to him. One of them was that Jehovah would make Abraham a great nation and so he did. Isaac was born and Jacob was born to Abraham. And Jacob was born to Isaac. God changed, changed Jacob's name to Israel after a great struggle. From Israel came 12 tribes. The 12 tribes were, were taken into Egypt or went into Egypt and into, in, were put into slavery. And there was a great exodus um, out of Egypt, that God brought his people back out of Egypt, um, led by Moses. 
After a slight delay, he um, led them into their promised land, and slight is probably a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, 40 years. After that, a series of judges God would raise up in order to deliver his people from, the, from those who would oppress him. Then he would raise up, and he would raise up prophets um, that would be God's spokesmen and women. And all the while, God was the head of this nation. It was God they were to seek and give their loyalty to. It was his desire that they would come to him for direction and relationship. They would spend their lives in devotion to him, and he would be their God, and they would be his people. But they didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a king they could see. They wanted someone to fight their battles and rule over them. They wanted to look like the nations around them. The problem was they weren't supposed to look like the nations around them. However, they ask for a king and God gives them a king and Saul is chosen to be their king. He does well for a while and then he thinks he doesn't need God anymore. Because of his unwillingness to rely on God, God takes the line of kings from him and gives it to another. Uh, let's read uh, verse 1. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse... Of Bethlehem, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Skip down to verse six. When he when they arrived, uh, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and thought, "Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before before the Lord." But the Lord appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and in fine appearance and, and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Then what happened? What happened to David? He went back to the sheep, right? David has just been anointed by Samuel, and he ends up going back to the sheep. But something is different. 
Something is very different about David. What's different about David at this point? Okay, one, he has the power of the Holy Spirit with him. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord didn't, it isn't like we have it today. It, it descended and it came on specific people for specific purposes. Okay. And it says uh, uh, David was anointed and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him from that day on. It didn't just come and rest for a purpose. It came for his life. What else happened? Why? Okay. What, what was he recognized as? What's, what's going to happen to David? Yeah, he's got a promise. He's got a promise from the Lord. In front of the people that are closest to him, he has a promise. You will be king. He has um, the Holy Spirit, which is a trainer and a teacher for us. He has a connection with the Holy Spirit, with God. He has a promise that has been given him. And now, now David begins his training. Back with the sheep. In the quietness of the field, in the obscurity of Bethlehem, he is learning about God. He's learning about Jehovah, the covenant God. And God is shaping David and molding him, speaking into him. God is revealing to David who he is and who David is to be. Who God is and who David is to be. In this quietness, in this time alone, this communion with God, that, with God that brings David to our current text this morning. So it's in this quiet time, this is where we are with David. He is in the field learning about God. Turn with me now to our text for this morning, which is 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to start at verse 32. The Israelites have gone to war. They have camped on one side of the valley, and the Philistines are on the other side of the valley. No fighting has happened. Why? Goliath, yeah. What's Goliath? Yeah, everyone knows the story, I think. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is a giant. A really, really scary big man. Bigger than me, yeah. I'm six foot three. Goliath was nine foot six. Okay. This chair adds about 20 inches to me. So now I'm almost eight feet. Okay. 
I'd stand another chair on top of this and stand on that, but that would get really dangerous. Okay? He's huge. Huge. And probably, like, wider, you know, bulky. Yeah. How long has Goliath been the reason there's no fighting? How long has this been going on? Forty days. Forty days. Forty days. The, 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 the two armies have been camped opposite of each other for over a month. Over a month. Forty days. Last week, um, Randy mentioned waiting three days for your Amazon package. You know, that's a long time, right? Forty days they stand there. In 40 days, Goliath comes out and issues a challenge. And the challenge is, send one of your guys to me. We'll fight. And whoever wins, they're the champions. It's crazy. It's a crazy challenge. Goliath must have been just absolutely scary. The entire army stands there and, and, and basically does nothing for 40 days. David is sent to the camp by his father. He leaves the field, leaves the quietness of the shepherd's field, and go to the camp and take supplies to your brother, who are part of the Israelite army. And while he's there, he hears something that goes against everything that he has been learning in his time of training. David knows who he is, and David knows who God is, and he knows the promises that, has been, that he has been given. And this giant does not get the right to speak into his life or the lives of those around him. Let's pick this up in verse 32. <clears throat> and David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David is addressing this giant of fear. This giant of fear. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. And David wants to encourage all of those who have begun to fear, Saul included. For 40 days they have been fearful. 40 days in a row they have lined up in the morning and the evening. Strong, powerful men ready for battle. Men who have been trained for war. And one guy stands in their tracks. One guy stops them in their tracks. One loud, arrogant, confident, scary giant. And maybe some of us know what it's like to live in that place of fear. We want to serve God. We want to go into battle. We want to give our lives to him. We want to trust him with our finances, with our marriage, with our kids. But there's a giant standing in the way. It's a giant of fear. Look at verse 33. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. And this is, this is the, the giant of inadequacy. 
You are not able to go and fight this, this Philistine. You're just a youth. And David is still a young man. He has not received any of the training techniques or fighting techniques that the other men have. And so I ask, what's wrong with Saul? What's wrong with his brothers? They've all received that training. They're all fighting men. What's wrong with every other guy in the army? If that's what it takes, if you have to be trained and you have to be a, a warrior. None of them are going. And David may not be trained, or is he? Look at verse 34 through 36. David says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. The Lord, who, who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David knows who he is. He says, I'm a shepherd. I've been trusting in the promises of God. I do not fear, and I am not inadequate. I know in whom I believe, and am walking in relationship with him so much that when something comes to harm my sheep, I do not stand idly by and let evil take what is rightfully my father's. I know that I cannot turn a blind eye to what is happening. I know that if I let the bear and the lion come and take one sheep, it will not satisfy them. They will come back again and again and again until there is nothing left. I know that the lion and the bear and I cannot live in the same place together. I know that when something scary comes, it must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. I will not allow fear or inadequacy to rule my life. I will go after the bear and the lion strike them, and take back what is my father's. When, when it turns on me, I will grab it by the hair, and I will kill it. So I ask, church, what is the lion and the bear in our lives? What is the lion and the bear to you? What is it in your life that if you ignore it, it will devour your life until there is nothing left? What giant is keeping you from a relationship with your father? 
David knew that he had been given responsibilities to care for his father's sheep. He could not let anything come against them. Is our life any different? We are caretakers of what the Father has given us. Do we know the Father? Do we spend time listening to him? Are we ready and willing to take action in order to reclaim what is our Father's? Unless we think it is our strength, we have verse 37. And verse 37, I'll read it again, says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Give credit where credit is due. It is the Lord who does the rescuing, not us. Know who God is. He is our rescuer. I come to verse 38. We're going to read the verses uh, 38 and 39. 38 and 39 says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over his tunic and tried walking around. And because it was not, he was not used to them, Try walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used, used to any of them. <clears throat> First of all, know who you are. Don't let others try to make you look like them. We are not someone else. I thought, why would Saul do this for David? Again, in... Um, one of the things I thought of is, well, it's really actually Saul's responsibility to accept this challenge. Saul's the leader of the army. It's his responsibility to accept the challenge of Goliath and fight Goliath. It is Saul's place to lead his army into victory. If the boy, if this boy David is going to fight, he might as well look like me, right? But David knows who he is and his, who his God is. He's not going into battle with, someone else, with what someone else has used. He can't draw on resources of somebody else's faith. He can't trust in somebody else's God. He can't go into battle clothed with their garments and their weapons. He must take yours. But you say, I, I, I haven't got any. David went out against the giant with a stick and a sling and five small rocks. And his God. Who in the quietness and the solitude of everyday life as a shepherd, he had learned to trust. Who he had built a relationship with. Who had given who had given David a promise and a task to be of being the next king, David knew his God. So I have a question. Is Jesus one of your weapons? Is your relationship with him one of your weapons? Because if he is, you don't need a sling and a stone. You don't need anything else. 
You have the God of the universe, creator God, the name that is above every name, the name that every knee must bow to in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Verse 40. Then he took off his then he took off then he took his staff in his hand, chose five small stones from the stream, put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you would come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Pick up what you know and put on God. Remove the strength of man, the armor, and the weapons, and put on the power of God. You can almost see his faith in actions here, in here. There's nothing about what David does that could be seen as threatening. But David doesn't move in his own strength. He moves in faith. He walks out into a place where he is counting on God to show up. If God is not with him, his life is forfeit. This is exactly where God wants David. This is where God wants you. This is where God wants me. Do you want to see God work in your life? Do you want to see him move in power? Do you want to see giants fall? You have to move in faith. You have to put yourself in a place where you're trusting fully on God. We as a church have to do the same. We want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see God move in our community. We want to see lives changed and families strengthened and addictions broken and people free. We have to move in faith. In this section of scripture, I can almost feel David's surrender to God. He is at peace with what God has asked him to do. And he will move forward in the knowledge of God's promises and the faith that he is walking according to what he, what he knows to be true about himself and his God. He is walking by faith and not sight. David seems to me... sure what that means. David seems to look at Goliath and only see what God is doing. Verses 45 and 40 through 47. 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world, world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know this is not by the, by the sword or spear or javelin, which isn't in there, that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David says, you trust in your might, your weapons and in your champions. I trust in the name of the Lord Almighty. And the very words that you just spoke will be a prophecy that will happen not only to you, but also to the entire Philistine army. David takes Goliath's threat and returns it to him. There's no fear in David. He is confident in who his God is, who he is in him and the promises he has been given. Goliath totally underestimates David. Take the fight to the enemy. Run to the battle line. If God has called you to move in faith, if you know your father and you know who you are, then run. Run to the battle line. Take the fight to the enemy. You fight from a place of victory. The battle is already won. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to, to attack him, David ran quickly toward him, toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and fell face down, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck him down, the Philistine, and killed him. The battle was over before it even began. We all face giants every day. Giants that cripple us and giants that keep us from being effective. Giants like fear and inadequacy. Shame and guilt, resentment, regret. Giants like gossip and addictions, pornography and unbelief, skepticism and pain. And I want to see these giants fall in all of our lives. 
And so I, like David, I want us to know three things. I want, I'll pray that we know who Jesus is. Fully God, who came to earth as a baby, born to a poor Jewish virgin girl, lived a life without sin, suffered greatly and willingly, died for the sins of all people, raised himself from the dead, crushed sin and death and the devil and all he uses to condemn, and ascended into heaven and is coming again. I pray that we know who we are. We are who Jesus did all of that for. You are worth everything he went through. You are who he wants to have a relationship with. You are loved by him. You are who Jesus wants to use to accomplish his purposes here on earth. You are who he wants to empower to crush hell for a living. You are exactly who he made you to be. And I pray that we know what his promises are. Promises like Deuteronomy 31.8, which says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess with our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Promises like Numbers 23, 19, God is not human that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Promises like James 4-7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isaiah 43, 1b through 3a, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Philippians 4, 5b through 7. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Promises like Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There are so many promises in his word. If you don't know where to start, Google promises of God. You'll get verse after verse after verse. 
when we know these three things, when we know who Jesus is, when we know who we are, and we know his promises, we will never be crippled by the giants in our lives. We will run to the battle line and take back anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 For we demolish arguments and every claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Amen. Thank you.